and those things had happened right under our feet. And it seemed to me sometimes at night that I could feel both the sea and the redwood forest before it. On the wide level acres of the valley the topsoil lay deep and fertile. It required only a rich winter of rain to make it break forth in grass and flowers. The spring flowers in a wet year were unbelievable. The whole valley floor, and the foothills too, would be carpeted with lupins and poppies. Once a woman told me that colored flowers would seem more bright if you added a few white flowers to give the colors definition. Every petal of a blue lupin is edged with white, so that a field of lupins is more blue than you can imagine. And mixed with these were splashes of California poppies. These too are of a burning color, not orange, not gold, but if pure gold were liquid and could raise a cream, that golden cream might be like the color of the poppies. When their season was over, the yellow mustard came up and grew to a great height. When my grandfather came into the valley, the mustard was so tall that a man on horseback showed only his head above the yellow flowers. On the uplands, the grass would be strewn with buttercups, with hen and chickens, with black-centered yellow violets. And a little later in the season, there would be red and yellow stands of Indian paintbrush. These were the flowers of the open places exposed to the sun. Under the live oaks, shaded and dusky, the maidenhair flourished and gave a good smell. And under the mossy banks of the watercourses, whole clumps of five fingered ferns and goldiebacks hung down. Then there were harebells, tiny lanterns, cream-white and almost sinful-looking, and these were so rare and magical that a child finding one felt singled out and special all day long. When June came, the grasses headed out and turned brown, and the hills turned to brown which was not brown but a gold and saffron and red, an indescribable color. And from then on until the next rains, the earth dried and the streams stopped. Cracks appeared on the level ground. The Salinas River sank under its sand. The wind blew down the valley, picking up dust and straws, and grew stronger and harsher as it went south. It stopped in the evening. It was a rasping, nervous wind, and the dust particles cut into a man's skin and burned his eyes. Men working in the fields wore goggles and tied handkerchiefs around their noses to keep the dirt out. The valley land was deep and rich, but the foothills wore only a skin of topsoil no deeper than the grass roots, and the farther up the hills you went, the thinner grew the soil, with flints sticking through, until at the brush line it was a kind of dry, flinty gravel that reflected the hot sun blindingly. I have spoken of the rich years when the rainfall was plentiful, but there were dry years too, and they put a terror on the valley. The water came in a thirty-year cycle. There would be five or six wet and wonderful years, when there might be nineteen to twenty-five inches of rain and the land would shout with grass. Then would come six or seven pretty good years of twelve to sixteen inches of rain, and then the dry years would come and sometimes there would be only seven or eight inches of rain. The land dried up, and the grasses headed out miserably a few inches high, and great bare, scabby places appeared in the valley. The live oaks got a crusty look, and the sagebrush was gray.
The land cracked and the springs dried up, and the cattle listlessly nibbled dry twigs. Then the farmers and the ranchers would be filled with disgust for the Salinas Valley. The cows would grow thin and sometimes starve to death. People would have to haul water in barrels to their farms just for drinking. Some families would sell out for nearly nothing and move away. And it never failed that during the dry years the people forgot about the rich years. And during the wet years they lost all memory of the dry years. It was always that way. And that was the long Salinas Valley. Its history was like that of the rest of the state. First there were Indians, an inferior breed, without energy, inventiveness, or culture. A people that lived on grubs and grasshoppers and shellfish.